Hello, world. Welcome to the Diversity Hires podcast. Today on this podcast, we're going to talk about, well, the first thing we're going to talk about is all the craziness going on in Washington, D.C. But the second thing, the main thing we're going to talk about, Shakri, is meetings. What to do, what not to do, the different kinds of meetings you take throughout your career. I think it's going to be a very helpful episode. Shakri, you got anything to add? Just who knows what the world is going to be like when this airs. But other than that, I hope we're all still intact. President Biden. Let's do it. Welcome to the Diversity Hires, where Sherman Shu shoot the shit about screenwriting. We are two working film and television writers living and working in Los Angeles, and we come here every week to give you the lowdown on the business, the culture, and of course the craft of writing for film and television. From a distinctly black point of view, I am Shukri Hassan Tillman. Other people call me Shu. I got you stuck off the realness. You know who it is. The living embodiment of the Courier font. The greatest screenwriter of all time, a.k.a. the G-Swote. It's your boy, Sherman Payne. Hello. I got to figure a better way out of that, uh, that yeah, elaborate it's introduction. The, it's the, it, you know, it I started... I got to stick the landing. I got to stick it started like three or four episodes ago where you had a big, powerful, yeah, you haven't been able to like to hit the landing yet. We gotta I'm going to work it on out. it. Shu, you give yeah. me some notes. You give me some notes after the episode. I'll figure it out. I will eventually figure it out. Next week will we'll be dope. We'll be we dope. should practice. We're going to rehearse. Yeah. Uh, just to, uh, everybody uh, tomorrow, 7 a.m., a rehearsal on Sherm's introduction. Uh, we need right. all hands on deck. Rehearsal on Sherm's introduction. Should only take That's about three true. or four hours to get it right. Well, the fans should know that, like, you know, we have very little time to prep any of this. We are we really get here and just, you know, try to come up with stuff kind of on the fly. We do a little research. We prep a little bit, but this is not a lot of rehearsal. This is not a lot of and I think that's what makes it good is we're just kind of coming with you know, our thoughts. You know what the listeners are saying right now? What? Uh, we know. We could tell. <laughs> that's no surprise we know yeah, we know you exactly. guys don't spend a lot of time practicing this we get it yeah we, we actually listen so we understand we you were, were we weren't fooled yeah <laughs> but uh yeah man uh you know it's uh it is tough it is tough is like i think I, I hate when people say they're busy because i feel like there's a little bit of condescension in there like i i what i'm doing is really important uh-huh. and you couldn't relate but I'll just say that, you know, we do have packed schedules. That's a reality. I think that's a non-condescending way to say it is like, I think because we spend so much time with our kids and our families, plus Mm -hmm. all the work we have to do, that the podcast is a little bit of a luxury for us. And I don't think that we could really justify investing much more time in it anyway. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a luxury to like sit around and talk with your homie for an hour and record it and expect people to listen to it. So yes. we're doing the best. I think we are doing the best we can, but um, you know, I also don't think we're fooling anybody. No, I agree. Maybe one day we'll, we'll have a staff, you know, somebody will buy 
this podcast. Acquire put it out us. There. Put it we'll out. Put there. it out in the world. You know, yeah. the Spotify's, the Apples, the who else just bought a bunch of podcasts? Whoever. You know, maybe they'll come and acquire us and we can get a staff and yeah, you know, we're ready to sell out. Make this thing work. Oh, we would sell out in a heartbeat. We're ready as long to as sell we could out. Keep doing the same thing. We would sell out in a heartbeat. I don't actually need to keep doing the same thing. Like you could buy me out. You guys could hire another host. Good luck, Shu. Good <laughs> I'm luck not with staying your... here by myself. No way. Good luck with your new host. <laughs> we'll just it's okay. Have I'll take ours. I'll, I'll just take the bag, Shu. You could carry on the podcast. I'll be. I don't know. But that that, that would be the most that would be the most Hollywood thing to do is to acquire us. We're like the original idea, the original pitch, mm-hmm. and then audition two people that are kind of like us but better actors. Well, <laughs> you, you, you know what they would do? They would just they would just hire the other diversity hires podcast. They would just move those those idea stealers over into our seats and uh, just let it just let it rock like nothing ever happened. Shots fired. We, Shots fired. You knew I was coming back to it. Shots fired. Don't cut that. Don't cut that AKB. If anybody <laughs> suggests that we cut that, I'm quitting. Have you listened to their podcast lately? Hell nah. <laughs> Hell no. Hey, you know what? There's a lot of talk about unity in the world right now. I'm not with it. I'm not with it. Okay. No uh, unity over here. Shoot, don't get me started. Come on, let's get on to the. Let's I know. really. We were not even supposed to talk about. It. I haven't yeah. listened to it in a while. I listened to the first couple episodes, but yeah. Well, let's hope they're doing that. well. Good luck to them. Good luck to them. Yeah, says you. Uh, <laughs> says Shakri. Um, so, shoot. One thing that's going on in the world right now is that the world is ending, uh, and in Washington D.C. or is it beginning? I don't know. Philosophical yeah, thought. But um, Tough to tell. you know what we saw this week? We saw a bunch of illiterate hayseeds stop doing meth in a Walmart parking lot. Somehow, you know, figure out how to get to Washington D.C. and then like break into a building with no plan and just do violence and destruction. Uh, thugs and animals acting crazy. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I have so many thoughts. So to try to boil it down is really to is really to challenge. I mean, where where to begin? First of all, as we sit here today, later on tonight, uh, most likely, President Trump will become the only president in history to be impeached twice. Yes, and love it. I, I love it too, and I think that that. It, but it's also sad that that had to happen. It's sad that. We elected a president like uh, Donald Trump. I, I still I couldn't understand it in 2016. I don't understand it today. You know, without uh, without getting making my argument too complex, I'll just say mm-hmm. that. Um, as for the the Capitol riot, is the most sort of unsurprising yet shocking thing at the same time. Unsurprising, totally agree. Be- totally agree. You know. Totally unsurprising because, well, of course. I mean, these people are egged on by the president of the United States um, over a fiction. And of course that happened. Uh, of course the, the uh, police and intelligence agencies were unprepared because they don't see uh, a majority white crowd as dangerous or a threat or a threat to democracy or humanity because they've been conditioned over many, many years in their own lives, in their own psyches, in our society to believe they are threats. 
And, and to be honest, a lot of them probably wish that they had the day off so they could be in that crowd. I mean, you know, like, like yeah, let's keep it real. Yeah, a fair amount not, of them, for sure. Absolutely. Not the whole police force, obviously. You can't paint with that broad of a brush. But I think a lot of them were, like you said, under the delusion that this, this crowd is different than other crowds that gather. They're less of a threat. These are the people we're supposed to protect. We shouldn't be threatened by them. And then secondarily, I think probably a lot of them, I mean, we've already heard reports, they're sympathetic. They agree. Yes, they didn't think that uh, democracy should reign. They thought that uh, this angry mob should actually get to decide who the next president is. So um, I interrupted your thought. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm really just rambling because my thoughts are so widespread. I'm, I'm sh- uh, you know, I, so there's the unsurprising part and then there's the shock of it, even though it's unsurprising, the shock of it that. That the, that the police would be so unprepared or that the security would be so unprepared that you can walk, that you can be, again, it's not all white people. It's certainly some, 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 some people of color running through there. We know that the head of the Proud Boys is an Afro-Cuban, for example. But uh, a majority white crowd, I want to make a point about that in a second, but a majority white crowd ransack and run through the Capitol and not be shot dead. I just, I, that's the part. Once they were breaking in, I thought to myself, oh my God. And I heard somebody else say this too. Oh my God, this is going to be a bloodbath. Like you can't break into the fucking Capitol. That's, that's, right. that's a no, no. Like they will mow, just try to try to run up to the white house and see what happens. They will mow you down. They have to. Right. right. And I was like, this is going to get, Wow, these people are really dumb. But what, boy, was I wrong about that. No. Well, you were right. You were right that they were dumb, but you were wrong that they would get shot down. Only one of them got shot. I was wrong about that, and like, I, I just it, it is the sort of epitome of the feeling of privilege, which is that I can, I can, I can pull off an insurrection and not and run into the capital, the United Capitol building of the United States. And not fear for my life at all. Meanwhile, Brianna Taylor can't watch a fucking movie in her, in her bed. bed at night, like we it, all do I mean, every night come with, our, on. with our with our significant other. We climb into bed, we debate about what to watch on Netflix, and we watch something stupid until we fall asleep. And uh, yes. and so I mean, it's just you're it right. It could it's go like, on and on. You know. It's privilege. It's privilege laid bare. You know, I don't really. I can't really add anymore. I mean. I just want to say that so many people saw it coming. It's really disingenuous for me to hear a lot of people who have been President Trump's biggest proponents now acting as if they're surprised and acting as if this is the bridge too far. Yeah, and get away. Now, and now they're calling for unity. It's like, no, you, we, we all knew. Not only did the people who are on the left side of the political spectrum, where Shu and I are firmly implanted, but- also, even his political opponents back in the 2016 election, they all saw it. You can you can pull. Of course. T- Ted Cruz saw it back then. Marco Rubio saw it back then. Jeb Bush saw it back then. And some of those people have been critics, but a lot of those people have been really supporting this guy. They joined so, the cult. Marco they, Rubio joined the cult. Ted Cruz joined the cult. John Trump called, destroyed Donald his Trump. career, hopefully. I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll have to see. I actually think it's too soon to say whether this is a blow to Trumpism or whether this is going to sort of ignite the second wave of Trumpism. It might not be represented by Trump himself, 
But mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that you can count Josh Hawley out or you can count out the next racist populist that's going to come forward. Um, I, I think you're right. I don't I, I think you're right. I don't know. I think it's too early to tell, but it is not too early. And I think you I know you agree to never forget these motherfuckers. It's 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 not too early to take those names, put them, record them in the in your brain and remember them for all history as people who supported and enabled the potential destruction of our own democracy. Not because they had a conservative-leaning political agenda or they had a policy agenda that they wanted to follow um, that, that may be different from, from the left. No, 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 no. These were, this is not about, this is about Trumpism and following blindly a cult leader who believes in a fiction about the election being stolen. That's what this ultimately has come down to because they couldn't even get off the boat then. They couldn't even get off the boat once they knew that that was a fiction. They couldn't right. get off the cult boat then. So anyway, uh, they should um, never be forgotten. And, and uh, you know, we should just remember that. And hopefully he's going to be impeached again tonight. And I'll shut up about this, but he's going to be impeached again tonight. And uh, I hope he's removed from office. People say, uh, and even if he's not removed from office before uh, the inauguration, uh, I hope he is convicted in the Senate. I hope they do have a trial so he can, and I hope they do vote to make sure that he can never run uh, for elected office again. I don't think you can overstate what has happened in our country over the last couple of weeks. I think it's hard to wrap your mind around it because so many things are happening and we just move past it. But it is uh, remarkable what has happened and how dire the situation truly is. Two quick points. How long before we get the Capitol uh, insurrection movie? You think somebody's already developing it? (laughs) I I wonder what, you know what, it sounds like a... Clint Eastwood movie, which is the, yes. with the, a terrible irony, um, <laughs> but it kind of sounds like his kind of movie. You know what I mean? Well, it starts with the it's you. First of all, you have to figure out who your main character is, right? Like, I think it should be that that one black uh, police officer who sort of fought off the crowd by himself and led them. Mm-hmm. Ad- did you see that story about the guy? Yeah, the, led them who, away from the uh, Senate, Senate. Led them away from chamber. the Senate chamber. Mm-hmm. I think it should be him. You follow his day. He understands the warnings. He understands the danger. He's watching it unfold. He's trying to warn his bosses and the senators. You know, he pulls Mitch McConnell aside by the bathroom and goes, hey, Mitch, we really got to talk. You know, Mitch McConnell says, I can't do that. I have to pass a racist law. I'm leaving. And, you know, he's like the 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 character who wants to who's trying to tell everybody that the sky is falling. And in the end, in the third act, he gets to be the hero. What are we even talking about? We should move on. I also have this article about uh about the screenwriter turned QAnon Trump uh conspiracy theorist. I don't want to go too deep into it, but it's a great article. You should read it. It's uh call it's on I found it on Vice News, but a couple other outlets have covered it. And the headline is one of QAnon's biggest influencers is a failed Hollywood screenwriter. Of course. And there is a lot to talk about there. I mean I think we I actually have a don't do that shit that sort of relates to this, but I'll just read you a little bit from the article. And that says Robert Corneo Jr. from New- moved from New Jersey to Studio City in California over a decade ago to pursue a career as a scriptwriter. 
And even though he had never had any success producing a script of his own, he set up a website called Hacking Hollywood where he offered to coach aspiring screenwriters. Isn't that the story? Of course. Isn't that the story of Hollywood? Well, that whole article has a lot of different uh, good points and interesting like anecdotes, but that is the one I keyed on to. (laughs) Who had never... Never done anything. Totally failed. And he's going to, and he's, hey, but he's got a website where he's going to coach you. Welcome. Hey, Uh, I I keep referring people back. I know it's not, um, it hasn't, I don't think it's been one of our most popular episodes, but I think people should refer back to our discussion that we had early on in this series. I think it's episode six where we talk, we don't know shit, uh where we talk about taking advice in the screenwriting industry because this is a perfect example of, of somebody who sort of set themselves up as a screenwriting guru and actually probably didn't know what the hell they're talking about. And now they're a weirdo. Now they're a weirdo on the internet supporting Trump and storming the Capitol. Oh, and you know what? Also, I followed uh, Franklin Leonard's Twitter thread about that. Cause Franklin Leonard, if you guys don't know, is the guy, a black guy, love Franklin Leonard. I actually met him a long time ago, very early on in my career. And he uh, is a former executive who now runs the blacklist both the website and the actual blacklist. And he had, he was basically targeted by this guy. This Word. weirdo, Q, yeah, this weirdo QAnon, screenwriter turned QAnon supporter, targeted Franklin Leonard, wrote articles about him, you know, calling him part of like the Hollywood Illuminati, would at him on Twitter, calling him all kinds of names. And, you know, it's very clear, look, this guy is bitter because he failed. And he can't take the fact that there is a black man who's a successful yes. Hollywood gatekeeper. And That's I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I mean, I, we can't psychologically examine him. We're not psychologists and we don't have access to him. But I bet if somebody did a deep dive, all that shit, it's like one string, right? Like failed Hollywood, yeah. problem with black people succeeding, straight line to becoming a weirdo QAnon uh, supporter. All right. So, Shu, uh, let's take a hard left turn. Let's take a hard, hard, hard turn, like screeching tires turn towards a different subject, which is meetings. Let's just talk about meetings in general. You know, we've talked a little bit on this podcast about uh, pitch meetings and how to pitch Mm -hmm. uh, and the art of pitching, but we haven't just talked generally speaking about general meetings. So I'll start off with a question Mm -hmm. to you. Okay. Tell the folks who are listening, what is a general meeting? What is a general meeting? A general meeting is one of the most confounding things, in my opinion, in <laughs> uh, the whole Hollywood landscape. On one end, it is very exciting because it usually happens. It happens more often. Well, I don't even know if this is going to true. True, I was going to say it happens more often early in your career, but that's not necessarily true. It's a thing that just kind of happens. I think you're most excited about it, or I was most excited about getting meetings when I was first starting out because it seemed like a good, you know, aside from getting a rep- representative, manager, or agent, then the next thing you want to do is like take meetings because like, yes. I get to meet with people. Maybe they read my stuff. I get to sort of like, you know, I don't know. I just felt like meetings was a thing, like a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, but oh, it's, it's conf- yeah. <laughs> oh no, I mean, I was going to just add on that it's definitely a, a, a point of accomplishment because, uh, and we can talk more about what a general meeting is specifically. Um, but 
general specific. <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say is that, like, you know, it's because people have read your script. People have read your script, usually in a general meeting, and it means that they like your script enough to, like, talk to you further. And that yes. is actually a sense of accomplishment because the people reading your scripts are, to get a general meeting, real Hollywood executives. So I just say that yes. I totally agree that it, it, at the when I was starting off, and even now sometimes, I still take generals from time to time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now it um, it still feels like, wow, you know, people, I'm, I'm doing something right. People like my work enough to, to, to want to talk to me and meet with me. Yeah. And, you know, the part of it that's confounding is that it's embedded in its name. It is general. So it's not, yes. it doesn't have a particular, Absolutely. it doesn't have a particular purpose aside from just kind of meeting and uh, getting to know one another, making a contact such that maybe future work, if it comes around, might uh, they may keep you in mind. Is that how you understand it? Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. It, it is. It's called general. It's it's like it's not a pitch meeting, right? A pitch is about a very specific, a very specific idea that you're going to talk to them about and try to sell them on it. It's not even a meeting about what they call an OWA, an open writing assignment, where there's a specific job attached to the meeting. You know, they're going to remake All Dogs Go to Heaven as a live action movie, and they really right. want to talk to Shakri about writing All Dogs Go to Heaven, the the reboot. That's not a general meeting. That's about an open writing assignment. They want to try to hire somebody. Uh, it's right. not a showrunner meeting, right? That's a different beast, which maybe we can talk about a little bit today, where you're trying to get staffed on a show and you're meeting with the showrunner. It's mm-hmm. just a it's just a get to know you thing. It's just literally, yeah. I either you know have read your work, which is most likely, which is what happens most often. They've read your work and they want to get to know you better, right. or somehow you've you've gotten the hookup to meet with somebody who's a who's a real Hollywood executive, and they're just they're going to talk to you. I've had it happen both ways. Um, most of the time, it's been about people reading my scripts, but I have had general meetings where like a friend. Uh, in the industry just says, hey, you two should meet. And, you know, I'd sit down with them and we talk about what we like and what we don't like and our career goals and stuff. And Mm -hmm. we see if we Mm -hmm. can find common ground. So do you have any just overarching advice, knowledge, anything you would like to impart about meetings in general? Like, you know, strategies to get there, to get there on time in Los Angeles, what to wear, how to act, how to behave, like right. how to carry yourself, it, what to expect when you walk in the door of one of these production companies, which is, or studios where you're most likely meeting. Any, any just sort of general overarching yeah. advice? I think so. Like, I, and it's, it's just stuff that like, I wish I would have known a little bit earlier, you know? Okay. Um, and I think the biggest thing probably is like, and, and I'm just talking about general meetings for now. I did not have any general meetings as a unrepresented, at least not that I remember. Not that I remember, at least. I did. And with um, did you? With actually with Franklin Leonard. Sure. Oh, okay. okay. I borrowed I borrowed your rental car in Los Angeles. Oh, to drive oh, to right. Universal <laughs> to meet right. with Franklin Leonard. He had not read one thing I wrote. It was a hookup through basically my work at the time. Uh, and my boss said, you should meet this guy, Franklin Leonard. And I went out and met with Franklin Leonard. And it was just a general meeting. He had never read anything that I ever... We, I can talk about that more. I might have talked about it already on the show, but please continue. 
Uh, well, that I mean, we might as well go back to there because that is actually. So what Sherman's referring to, I forgot about this. Okay, so what Sherman's referring to is that Sherman and I, when we when I don't think we had graduated yet, but we both were part. Uh, we both won one a, a select amount of screenplays uh, and television pilots uh, at Columbia, where we where we study screenwriting, uh, get selected to participate in a sort of series of meetings with executives yes. in um, in New York and LA, I think. I think it's both. Yep. Yes. And so Sherman and I were living in New York at the time. We went to LA uh, with a small group of other screenwriters who had also um, had this distinction, which we're very you know, happy about. And you sort of meet with all these different people, managers, agents, production people, and they're very general meetings. And I, um, and I guess during that trip is when you met also with Franklin, cause you did a good thing. I, I guess what I'm, if I recall is that you knew we were coming out to LA to do these meetings. So you set up independently kind of your own stuff. Is that, is that right? 100%. I, we, okay. Shu and I both, I mean, we'll just use one for the, for the sake of clarity, but we were invited to participate in this offshoot of the Columbia university film festival where they promote our scripts and set us up with meetings. Like you said. I had never been to Los Angeles, Shakri. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think I had been ever like west of Illinois. And so um, it was my first time ever coming out to the West Coast. I spent most of my life in Ohio and New York City. And we were both living and studying in New York City at the time. And I said, man, I don't know when I'm ever going to go to Los Angeles again. If I go to Los Angeles, I have to hustle my own stuff. I can't just rely on what Columbia sets up for me. So I got to hustle my own stuff. And I have very, very limited connections at the time, extremely limited, but I like pimped all those connections. Like I like juiced them for every single ounce that they had. And out of doing that, I'm I'm set up two meetings outside of the Columbia thing. One was with Franklin Leonard at Universal because at the time he was a uh, executive, a development executive at Universal. I think he was the head of development at Universal Pictures. And then the other one was with a uh, development executive at uh, BET, Black Entertainment Television. Mm. And uh, I did not have a way to get all the way out to Universal. Shakri had rented a car. And I said, Shu, I know this is weird because we, we weren't that we weren't that close of friends. I mean, we knew each other, but we, we had But we, we didn't roomed. Have, didn't we, we split did, a we, hotel? We room? split a hotel. But I said, Shu, give me the keys to your rental. Give me the keys to your rental car. I need to get out to. I need to get out there to the valley to Universal so I can take this meeting. And she was like, "All right, man, cool. Just don't crash my whip." And so uh, I did it, and uh, that actually led to that was actually the spark of my career um, because Franklin Leonard, during the course of that general meeting, picked up the phone. He had never read a script of mine at all. He picked up the phone and he called another Hollywood exec, just like off like liking me in the meeting. Picked up the phone. And called up another Hollywood exec and said, yo, you need to meet with this kid, Sherman Payne. And I went and I met with that guy. And that guy introduced me to another person. And that person introduced me and so on and so forth. And that was the start of my career. That That's a fantastic segue to, I think, the first, the point I was, I, I was sort of dancing around. And I think I, I could get to it here. You, yeah. That's a good, because... I think what I wish I would have known, and that set of meetings that, that are, at least from my perspective, that we took were sort of useless. I thought that, you know, I, I didn't get much out of those, uh, you know, the things that Columbia had set up. They, you know, I met with a bunch of people. I, 
I, I don't I don't even remember how I presented myself or not. Yeah. I don't re- I don't recall them all having read the script. I remember that being sort of weird. But that sort of leads to and what you just said is that what I learned a little bit later is that generals really are personal. They really are about yes. just getting to know each other. And so the preparation or the sort of like thoughts that should go into it is almost like a date. It's sort of like you just want to present yourself. You know, I mean, just be yourself, basically. You just, it's not really about a job or about a specific thing. It really is about um, just, you know, you can bond with somebody over baseball or something uh, and and having nothing to do with script yes. writing or, or the business and that be a connection or not have a connection, just, you know, presenting yourself as who you are. I think it's always good to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where you come from, where how you got involved in this, whatever. Um, but it's not so much about like your work. Uh, you know, it really, it really, oftentimes I find it's just about people talking to other people and just kind of being cool. I cannot agree with that anymore. Uh, I don't want to belabor it, but I'll say that you're, you're not selling your script, right? You're not selling your idea. You're not, that's, I mean, you, you hear these stories and I think they're romantic and apocryphal uh, of people selling ideas in the room on a general. Yeah, that does happen. I think sometimes. But really, your goal is to sell yourself. You're selling yourself. Mm-hmm. They might not remember anything about your story ideas when you walk out of the room. They might not remember it, man. You got to understand, you're you're one of 25 meetings they're going to have that week. They're not going to remember every plot point and detail of some pitch you caught, you know, you came to, came up with for the meeting. What they will remember is, yo, I really like that person. I really, really like that person I met with. I really thought we connected yes. great on baseball or politics or our hometowns or something about our families, so on and so forth. So you're really walking in there to sell yourself. I actually got to the point in generals where I would like sort of play a game where it's like, can I not talk about movies? Like how long can I not talk about movies and television? Because I always felt like that's when, I always felt like that's when the energy would screech to a stop. You know, when I started talking business, I could like sort Mm -hmm. of see their eyes glaze over. And this is for generals. This is not for when they have called you in to talk about something specific. Obviously, if they call you in to talk to you about something specific, go 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 all at it, right? Like, that's why you're there. But I would always, like, try to save that stuff for the end. You know, oh, it's been a great talk. You know, let me – I'd love to hear more about what, what this company is looking for. Can you tell me some more? And then they tell you their mandate and its practice and because they've said it a million times. And then you say, oh, yeah, I love that idea. Or – you know what? I've been thinking about developing a, a TV show or a movie that's exactly like that. Here, here's what I've been thinking, and you're going to sort of get the vibe whether they like it or not. And um, you know, maybe there will be more work to do. You'll know, like if there's more work to do to follow up, or if you just had a great general meeting. And and the goal is that you sell yourself as a person, like Shakri said, you sell yourself as a cool person that they would want to work with, so that when they do get that open writing assignment. Or they are, or somebody does call them up and says, "Hey, do you have anybody who could staff on this show?" It's about boom, 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 boom. They go, "Yep, I just I met with this guy Shakri. Yep, and he was yep. he was talking about that, and he's so cool, and you're gonna love him in the room. He's so personable. Give him, give his, give his agent a call. He'll be perfect for it. 
see if you could read his script. So yeah. that's generally what I'm what I'm what I think as well, Shu. I, I do think I, I totally agree. And I if there's any little sort of business part um, to go along with the personal, I would say, you know, if there are one or two or three things that you want to talk about, I mean, this is like, you got to be real, in my opinion, not, not in a bad way, but really kind of artful about how you do this. But I think you can, if you're savvy enough, you can kind of treat it like a politician. You know, the old politician thing is like, no matter what you're asked, you find a way to talk about the one thing that you want to talk about. You came there to talk mm-hmm. about whether it's your project, this idea you have, whatever. So you try to find a, a seamless way to be able to talk about that if you find an opening. I think it's good to have that in your back pocket. I wouldn't force it. Um, That's what I would but, say, sure. It's like, yeah, definitely yeah. don't force it. it you're going to, you. the thing is that it's so. Um, if you this, what I, my advice would be like, if you have the choice about just going in there and sticking to your t- talking points about your own projects, or you have the ability to be a little more free flowing and just talk about yourself and have a good conversation, I would always pick just talk about yourself and have a good conversation. Always, always, always. I think the the only way you talk about the projects or those things is if you get the opening. Do you know what I mean? And, and and a lot of times I find that like, even in generals, you know, some people, uh, you take the lead from the executive. Sometimes yes. the executive might say, well, what are you working on? What are you thinking about? Uh, they will 100%. You know? Yeah. Yep. So, they then will do that. your opportunity to talk about that. Or if they say, you know, I don't know, where you, I don't know, where are you from? And where did you, you grew up, you know, in Delaware and yeah, I actually wrote something about that or whatever. And yeah. you can see if they go further or not. But I would not force that at all. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about... because I, I, My brain is going a lot of different ways because I have a lot of stuff to say about meetings. But um, I just want to give the advice, like, and I said this before on the podcast, be able to talk about something other than movies and TV. Like, have an idea about what's going on in the world. Have an idea about the biggest sporting event that's coming up. Have an idea about the biggest political thing that's coming up. Understand a little bit about your surroundings and the people you're with and have funny anecdotes and friends to talk about and family stories to talk about. I just, even as I'm, you know, I'm not in a position to write anybody a check or give anybody a job. I'm not even close to that. But sometimes I encounter new writers and all they can talk to me about is like movie references and stuff and television references. And I'm like, you know what? I do this all day for a living. I sit in these offices. I sit in this, this writer's room or these meetings and talk about movies and stuff all day. Like, can we just connect a little bit about something else? Can you show me who you are as a person? And so don't be like the, like the, like the star Wars geek who can only talk about star Wars. Like, be cool. Have a life. Like bring something else to the table. Yeah, I, th- I think that's good advice, and it makes me think to want to give a little, um, you know, shout out to the introverts because a lot of this can feel super intimidating to the yeah. introverts of the world because a lot of it feels like my job as a person who's taking a meeting is to sell myself or to you know, talk about myself a lot or to talk about what I feel or my opinions. And and if you're naturally inclined to do that, that's valuable. 
um, but I can hear, I can feel the introverts on the other side of the of the of the headphones for thinking like, man, I do not want to fucking sit in a room and talk about myself. I think there's a couple things you can do. I think mm-hmm. that um, one is you can be maybe a little bit more prepared to to or rehearsed in some way, in a natural way to, you know, talk about the one, two or three things about your life. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? What was, um, you know, what are your interests, like Sherman said, outside from outside of the film itself? Why did you want to become a, a writer? How did you get to this town? I mean, any of those things are fine and easy to present. The other tip I would, so maybe do a little pr- a pr- more preparation if you're more of an introvert. The other thing I would say is that, like, if you're a little bit shy about talking about yourself a little too much or whatever, I find that it's always good to be interesting and interested. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with with asking questions. Turn it on the other person. So, um, you know, how did you get into this? What, what what is this company about? You know, what do you, what kinds of things do you guys like? Turn, turn it around. You know, great advice. Yes. Great advice. I'll tell you that a technique I use in meetings are sometimes we're talking, talking. They're asking me a lot of questions about myself and how I came up with the script, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I'm talking about myself. And then they'll move on to the business portion, right? It's like you said, there's sort of like a, a moment in the meeting where they say, okay, well, let me tell you a little bit about our company or let me ask you about what you're working on. And I go, mm-hmm. wait, 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 stop. You never told me about you. Like, how did you get this job? Were you always interested? Do you want to be a producer? You know, I just, I throw it back to them. And I think that's one, I'm, it's not fake. I'm actually interested usually. Yes. And two, um, people, you know, it's, I think it's a nice refreshing turn, right? Because it's so much like they're interviewing you and they're asking about who you are and what you're into and, and how, what you can bring to the table, um, for them as a, as a company, like what kind of scripts and ideas you can bring in. It's really nice to like to allow them to talk, you know. I mean, yeah. I just think, and like I said, it's not a fake thing. And I think if you're an introvert, get to that get to that quicker. Yeah, ask them about themselves. Where are you from? How did okay? You're from you're from New Mexico. Like where where like how did you end up in L.A.? When did you move? How did you get involved in films? You know that kind of stuff. So yes, love that, love that. Real quick practical advice, Shu. I want to talk a little bit about showing up. Showing up for the meetings, right? We talked about what you do when you're in the meetings. Any advice about, like, here's here's a little bit. Everywhere in L.A. is an hour. It's an hour. <laughs> it takes an hour to get there. Even if you drove there yesterday and it took you 12 minutes, when you have to show up for a meeting, give yourself an hour. Give yourself yes. an hour because you never know when a traffic light is going to be out and traffic will be backed up for miles. You never know what the parking situation is going to be. Uh, if you're going to yeah. a meeting in LA, the parking sometimes can take an additional 20, 25 minutes just, to, just because they have you park in a garage that's way far away from where you're actually meeting or you can't find street parking. You got to give yourself at a minimum an hour, even if you think it's right around the corner. If you're driving, mm-hmm. it's an hour. I personally hate to be flustered. I hate to be flustered. I hate to be rushed. So I always want to get to the meeting early. I'm the kind of person who gets to the airport early. I know a lot of you people find those Ugh. people annoying. But I cannot, if I am coming in with the energy of having rushed and fought traffic, I'm going to have a hard time being a cool, calm, personable 
guy in the room, I'm going to feel that same anxiety that I felt battling traffic on the highways of Los Angeles. They're always going to offer you something to drink. I always take it. You know what I mean? I always take what, you know, I take a bottle of water or sometimes I'll ask for coffee if it's in the morning. And then I always just go to the bathroom. I always say, where's the bathroom? First thing I ask, where's the bathroom? Make sure my, my outfit looks cool. Make sure my hair is all right. Make sure I'm not sweating, that kind of stuff. Use the bathroom so you don't have to use the bathroom in the meeting. And just take a moment. That's what I always do, Shu. I, I think that is... <laughs> I think that's great advice. We have uh, to get to the practical nitty-gritty stuff. Now, no, you know? no, I'm, I'm laughing because it's great advice and it's advice people should follow. And I need to follow that myself. I, Why? I'm terrible. You find yourself I'm ter- rushing? I'm just terrible. Yeah, I, I'm I'm terrible at that. And it's, it's something I need to improve. Because I am, for example, like the airport. You know, I'm a... I'm not a nervous flyer because I've, I've flown so much, but I don't, yeah. I think I've said this on this podcast before, but I don't love to fly. I'm not, I'm not, even though I do it all the time, but yeah. I am the person like, I do not want to be sitting at the gate. I don't want to, I don't want to get more anxious. I wanted to arrive at the airport and this shit is boarding. Like I just barely get there. Ugh. I get in line, I get on the flight and it's over. And so I am sort of like that as it comes to, and I know I play it close, but like if it's a pitch meeting or a general meeting, like I don't give myself a lot of time, not on purpose necessarily. I just think it's in my head. I just don't want to linger. Like I want to get there, like do this fucking meeting and get this shit over with. I'm a mm. little bit, ner- I'm a little bit, ner- got a little anxiety. I, can, I cannot do that, man. It would, <laughs> I would bomb every meeting. I think like a big part, I mean, this is my personal process, but maybe some people can relate. A big part of the meeting for me is being calm and being just unflappable. Just like, you know, having the the coolest hand in the room. That's a big part of like how I like to take meetings. And if I'm rushing, there's, I, I need to have a moment between the time that I was rushing and the time that I was fighting traffic and the time that I was nervous about finding parking and making it on time, I need to have a moment to get rid of all that energy, all those thoughts, all that anxiety, and like find my calm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, um, I think it's great advice. Dude, I, go I, to the I, airport early, man. Get yourself a drink. Nah, like, nah. get to the airport early. I don't, I don't get, need Get all time to get yourself. Thinking about the, I'm nah, just going to be thinking about the flight. Uh, I just go and I'm calm, bro. I'm, I'm, it's like that thing. You know what it's like? It's like, Mm. you ever hear that Tyson? um, There's a bit in the Tyson documentary. I say this about a lot of things, but like Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard and Mike Tyson are probably my like models in terms of approaching work. Okay. You know, like, you know, like if you look at Kawhi Leonard, he's almost emotionless. You think, but there's like a, I mean, he's dominating on there's the There's a switch, right? right? There's just, there, he's, but he's, he's like level the whole time. Right. Occasionally he'll break out in a scream or something like that. Right. But whether he's dunking on you or whether he's going 0 for 15, he looks pretty much the same. Well, there's it that picture. Matter. Have you seen that picture of him about to dunk and his face is just totally blank? No, <laughs> I gotta find this picture. It's like one. It's like from the, like the backboard camera. You know, they have that overhead backboard yeah, shot, yeah. and he's about to dunk, and he has no expression on his face. 
It's amazing. He, you know, I uh, love. Do you know who else is like that for our boxing cool. nerds out there? Bud Crawford. Yes, just just taking it to you. No expression. Bud Crawford, just nothing. Crushing. No emotion. Yeah. Just gonna knock you out. Okay. Anyway, just continue. Give, just giving it to you, right? And so, yeah. in 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 the same way, Tyson, not a big ring entrance. Just whatever. Just a fucking towel and some shorts and no socks and some shoes. I'm just here to do business and, you know, and knock you out and get it over with. Right. That's it. That's the approach. And so Tyson has this thing in this old Tyson documentary where he talks about Mm -hmm. his walk from the locker room to the ring. Uh And he explains that, have you heard this before? I've saw the documentary, but I don't remember this moment. He, he explains that in the locker room, he's so nervous Mm-hmm. And he feels as though all he starts saying to himself that all the preparation, all the things that he's done leading up to this have been for naught. The person he's fighting is bigger than him. They're mm-hmm. going to knock him out. He's going to be embarrassed. He, he hasn't done enough. He's filled with fear. And he just wants to get out of the locker room. And mm-hmm. on his way, on as he gets closer to the ring, he starts to feel more and more confident. And he starts to say, well, maybe I can beat this guy. I don't know. I've trained. I've looked at him. I've looked at the tape. I don't know. He doesn't look that big. By the time he gets over the ring thing and climbs over the ring and into the ring, he says that he has this great line where he says, by the time I get in the ring, I'm a fucking God. I'm an Adonis. Nobody can beat me. I'm, I'm, I'm super confident. I'm going to destroy this guy. Right. So I feel the same way in the sense that like, in the sense, not that I feel like I'm going to destroy anybody, but I feel in the sense that like, I just want to get to the ring. I don't want to have a whole Mm -hmm. bunch. I feel like Mike Tyson in the dressing room. I don't want to be sitting in the lobby having a whole bunch of thoughts. I just want to get to the space where I feel confident in the room do the thing and go to fuck home. See, I'm you're like, right. uh, I'm like, uh, I'm like Adrian Broner or like uh, Bernard Hopkins, right? I have a very elaborate ring entrance, which is all bravado, just to hide the fact that I never gained that confidence on the walk to the ring. I'm nervous <laughs> the entire time, the entire time, especially when it comes to pitching. That's another topic which we've covered. But uh, yeah, I love, I really love that analogy, man. And I think. Um, but for me, it's it's I, I, you know I think that it's just about it's I'm not I actually don't think it's that different from what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I need the moment. I just need the yeah. moment where I can g- drink a half a bottle of water, use the bathroom, and then walk into the meeting, as opposed to park my car, rush in. Oh, they're waiting for you already. Okay, let me go. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So, <laughs> uh, but I do love that. I do love that Tyson analogy. It's a good uh, dichotomy that we have. It's, I like it. It's yeah. A good two two. Valid approaches. Two valid approaches. Got to find what works for you. Shu, I want to talk a little bit about like the different types of meetings that you take throughout your career. And here, if you know, maybe the answer to this is nothing changes. But have you found that your approach to meetings change at all the further you get in your career? I mean, you know, we both started off as people who didn't have reps and who were still trying to make it. And now, you know, you're an established television writer and producer who probably doesn't have the same concerns that you did 10 years ago. So has your philosophy towards meetings changed at all? Um, only a little bit. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still moving, you know, through my career, you know, I'm obviously we're both like, you know, we're not at the, at the pinnacle of our careers and we're still trying to, you know, do things and get to the next level and, 
just keep going. So, you know, so not a whole lot has changed, but I will say that, like, I think where I am now is that I I don't enjoy as much the super generic meeting. Mm -hmm. And even in the general super generic meeting, I think one big difference is that I am looking for something probably as much as they are. So I am looking to understand before I was just like, Hey, like me, I hope they like me because maybe they'll give me a job or maybe I'll be in their good graces. I think my approach now is like, well, yes, I hope they like me, but also like, I'm trying to suss them out. Is this somebody, is this an executive? Like I can take these, you know, six projects that I have in the back of my head. Is Mm -hmm. one of them right for this person? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm making that calculation too. Would I like to work with them? Do do I see myself taking notes from them? What kind of, whatever, like, is this a good business arrangement? I'm sort of sussing that out too. And it's a little bit more mutual, at least in my mind, (laughs) probably not to them, but at least in my mind it is. Uh, So that's a little different. And even when it comes to like showrunner meetings at at this point, um, knock on wood, although I'm always looking for good jobs, I take more of the approach that, yes, I want this this person to want to be in business with me and want to want me, but I'm also looking at them like, do I want this job that you may offer? I'm Mm -hmm. not so sure. I'm I'm sussing that out in the same way, which is totally different than it would have been you know, a few years ago. Totally. I mean, you've said it better than I could. You know, when I was taking these meetings early on, uh, and maybe sometimes I just had a manager, I didn't even have an agent or a lawyer yet, and I was just taking these meetings, any crumb that they would throw at me of a, a potential whiff of a of a what could turn into a script or a job, I pounced on. If they just mentioned something in passing, I would spend the next couple weeks working up a take on it. You know what I mean? I was so mm-hmm. interested. And, and, and I think this is the way it should be. If they give you a little bit, man, run with it. Kill it. Try to get it, right? You're not going to get all those opportunities early on. you got to sort of prove yourself and create an open writing assignment where maybe there was none, right? Like a lot of times... Mm-hmm these executives will throw out ideas just because like, oh yeah, we've been kicking this idea around or I always wondered if I could do a reimagining of this idea. I would pounce on that. I would follow up in an email and say, hey, listen, I love that idea you um, you talked about. Would it be cool if in a couple of weeks I circle back with some thoughts about it? Mm-hmm. And then I would really work mm-hmm. hard. That's you know, now I can be a lot more discerning. I'm not running with every crumb, you know? And um, I think that as you go on, obviously because you have your own stuff going and and you have potential other jobs and other places bubbling up, you really can pick and choose a lot more. So I think that's pretty much the, the biggest thing that has changed for me is that early on I was jumping at everything. I was also trying to get information out of them about like who else I could talk to, who's the next person I can meet with, who else do you know? Do you know, I I would just say straight up, you heard of anybody else in the uh, in your circle of colleagues that might be looking for an idea like this? And sometimes mm-hmm. I would get a name. And sometimes I would, if I would, didn't have management yet, I would hit them up myself. When I did have, when I did get a manager, I would say, "Hey, they mentioned that this person, boom, 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 boom. Can you set up a meeting?" So it was yes. much more like trying to suss out a job, suss out information, get anything I could to move me to the next step. Now it's a little bit more about 
what's the job on the table? What's the job on the table? You still have the general meeting. You still have the meeting where you're selling yourself and you're being, you know, personable and somebody that people would like to work with. But then at the end of the meeting, I'm expecting to know like, what's the job on the table? Or yep. what do you, what do you want to do with my work that you've read? And sometimes that comes and sometimes it doesn't, but it's, 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 um, and, and sometimes they'll say something to me and I'm like, there's no way I'm developing that. I really, <laughs> really don't want to work on that idea. Whereas when I was starting out, I would have run with it just because it was yes. an opportunity. It was offered. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I think that's the big thing, but I think the general, I, I, I just want to say that to make the point that the general idea about how we were talking about approaching meetings, that really never changes. The way you mm-hmm. conduct yourself and the way that you sort of move through the meeting is the same throughout every phase of the career we've experienced. And I imagine it remains the same even as you become ultra successful. Yeah, I imagine so. Word. Uh, anything else to add about meeting, Shu? Anything we didn't cover? I don't think so. They're, they're probably, you know, we should probably distinguish, which I think you made the distinguish distinguishment no the distinction the distinction is the word you're looking for yeah yes between you know the general meeting which is just about everything to the sort of pitch meeting which we talked about before which is really about come in with a take on something yeah um, which is different from the sort of i'll call it a open writing assignment Verse it's slash you know showrunner meeting which is like specifically about a job that you may be up for we didn't really break down sort of like the i have a take meeting because i guess we sort of talked about in pitching like yeah you know i mean i think it's real quick is, is like when you have a take when somebody asks you for a take right sometimes you'll have a general meeting and they'll give you an idea that the company is excited about or that they're excited about personally and they'll say like eh, can you come up with a take on that a take means that you come back to them with an idea of how you would tackle the story. It's not the story itself, right? The pitch meeting will be the story itself where you actually yeah. tell them, bring them through the narrative. The take is more like, where are you going to set it? Who are these characters going to be? What's the general idea of what they're trying to accomplish? You might not have even thought about the ending or the third act. You might not mm-hmm. have any sort of plot points, but you might know that you want it to be like, Hey, I want it to be an ensemble heist movie set in Belize, and they're going to really run afoul of the local uh, crime lord. Mm-hmm. You don't have any plot points or details. You just have that general idea, and you can sort of talk them through the characters and what the general idea of the heist might be and who the antagonists are. And they just, it's really informal. You're allowed to say, you're allowed to say, I don't know. I haven't figured that mm-hmm. out. Oh, let me go back mm-hmm. to the drawing board on that. Whereas mm-hmm. in a pitch, people are going to expect you to have answers to all of those questions. So yes. a take is sort of the intermediary step that um, allows the executive to know whether you're even headed in the right direction for possibly getting this job or possibly going further in the project. Right. right and, exactly. you know, when you, and when you, listen, when you have a general meeting, sometimes the next time you talk to that executive is when you're presenting them a take. And so like what I was saying to shoot, what I was saying earlier, Shu, about like, Sometimes you have meetings that are about things that are very specific. You got to disregard all that stuff that we said about like selling yourself and not trying to over talk about movies and stuff. Like, yes. you, of course, you know that it's about this specific thing. You do some pleasantries and then you get right into it. Yeah, and I'll I'll just exactly exactly on all that. I'll just follow up with that on showrunner meetings. 
you know, that that is a, essentially a job interview where there is a job on a staff. Uh, you are the, the showrunner or people have read your stuff. You are invited in to be um, to interview for this job. And I find in that space, it almost goes back to the general in a sense, because they've read your work. They felt mm-hmm. it was good enough and it fit enough with the show, potentially the show that they're staffing, that they brought you in. And so now at this point, they really just want to, I think, they just want to know two things. Are you crazy? Number one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are you a problem? It's really, so. are you going to be a problem? Because I got to sit in a room with you for eight hours every day. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of a problem personality or not? Right. Um, and and then on the sort of positive side, like who are, it is more about like, who are you? Like, what do you like? How do you respond to things? What do you, it's not so much about like your craft. Like they've already kind of decided that you're good enough. That's why you're sitting here. So the question is just sort of like, um, I find is really, it's, it goes back to it being personal again. It's really, who is this person? Um, what is their vibe? How do they communicate with others? How do they play well with others? We can tell enough of that in this sort of half hour to an hour meeting that we're going to get with the, that we're going to have with the showrunner. And I Mm -hmm. think, sure, that you should be prepared to talk about some story things about the show, about your own work, about um, how you may see certain characters or connect with certain characters in that show. What makes you excited about having this job or potentially having this job? I think all those things are important. You should be prepared for those things. But I do think it ultimately comes down to, do I like this person? Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that throws me for a loop in a showrunner meeting is when they're asking for like some specific skill set. And I think that happens a lot in uh, genre shows, you know, Mm -hmm. they'll say like, oh, but are you like a, are you like a horror movie fanatic? Do you know, like the ins and outs of horror movies? I'm I'm always thrown. That's interesting. I'm always thrown by those. Oh, you know, I've, I've um, early in my career for some reason I got really, I got really pigeonholed for a little bit as like a genre writer, which is so weird because mm-hmm. I don't see myself like that at all, not even close. But like I had a genre script, and I think a lot of people saw me. And my first couple shows were genre shows, so a lot of people saw me as jo- a genre writer. Mm-hmm. And I always found myself like very thrown by those questions. Because, you know, I always thought of myself as, and I still do it, I'm a five-tool player. I do it all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, let me on the field. I'm going to kill it in every phase of the game. And so, like, when people ask me to um, hammer down on something specific, I always flubbed that. I always felt like I, I bullshitted it, and it came out as bullshit. So <laughs> a lot of times you will get asked to sort of what's what's the summary of yourself, you know? What are you yes. into? What do you like to write? And I think it's really helpful for you to have a, diff- a couple different versions of that self-description logline to be able to throw into meetings. Oh, I like to write romantic dramedies about young women trying to find their place in the world. Oh, I like to write grounded sci-fi that's set in places we usually don't see it. Oh, I really see myself as a drama writer with a specialty on uh, familial relationships, like being able to say those things and have like a couple of those versions of those in your back pocket, especially for showrunner meetings in television, where they're where they're sometimes looking for like a like a like a specialized player to be on their team. I think is really useful. That, that I, that's such a huge point. That's great. I, and I have 
I don't know if I should say I don't want to give it away. Somebody don't give away it. your log line. Don't give it. Somebody's going <laughs> to steal had, it. They're going to take had, your job. Yeah. They're going to take all I, your jobs, Shu. You've got, you got kids had, to feed, man. Protect just the bag. Generally, I'm like, share everything. I do believe in sharing. But that one, I'll keep to myself. But I do have like sort of the the three answers that I that I give to that question. Because just like you, I was that question would stump me because I'd be like, I'm interested in a lot of things. What the fuck kind of question is that? But I was able to sort of hone in on, on my answer to that in a couple of okay. ways. So, well, yeah, d- don't give it away. Just let the, I'm let not, the audience I'm know not. that yeah. they should come up with their own version and don't steal yes. Shakri's. <laughs> All right. Don't do that shit. I just want to explain in case somebody's listening for the first time, don't do that shit is a little, portion of the show where we give you advice on what not to do a lot of other shows proactively tell you what to do and give you advice but we just tell you don't do that shit your career is going to get better your writing is going to get better everything about your life as a screenwriter is going to get better if you don't do this shit so shakri yes my don't do that shit is sort of building upon last week's episode uh, about writing your first script and um, okay. it's a piece of advice that I was given over and over um, in my career and in my aspir- in the aspiring part of my career also. And I thought it was the dumbest piece of advice, but it has, <laughs> I really did. But it has turned out to be really true, and I've heard it from several different um, established people. And the don't do that shit is don't give up. Mm. I think that's really important. Mm. This game, a lot of it, whether you're writing your first screenplay or your 10th or your 50th, or you've been in this business, you're trying to break in, or you've been in this business 10, 15, 20 years. I think it's really key to remember that this is a marathon, not a sprint, and that a big part of this game is perseverance. And there's going to be mountains and valleys Mm -hmm. And you might be stuck in a valley for a little while, but you'll climb your way out. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to always keep pushing forward and just don't give up. Don't give up. No matter how long it takes, where the road might look, you know, bleak, but just don't give up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't do that shit. Don't give up. Wow. That's really encouraging. I feel like mine is way more negative than that. We should have ended with yours, upbeat, <laughs> because mine's no, way ahead. more negative. Switch All right. Don't Switch do this it. shit. Don't do this shit. Don't move to Los Angeles and become a weirdo. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't come on, guys. Listen, so many people. Well, it's so many people. It's funny that we referenced that. If in that case, you should give up. <laughs> So we referenced this article about the about the failed screenwriter who's now like a weird Trump conspiracy theorist. But I actually find that like a lot of people come to LA and things don't go the way that they wanted to. And this is across the entertainment industry, whether it's writing, acting, whatever. And they sort of double down on weird stuff. You know what I mean, Shu? Like, I know you've met them. I know you met the people who like came out here to be an actor 15 years ago and now they're talking to you about crystals. And you're like, how did that happen? What ha- what happened to you in the intervening 15 years? So what I'll say is, and this is the actual advice. When you come to Los Angeles, Los Angeles can be a weird and lonely place. Really make sure that you are in an emotional state to come and 
and sort of pursue this life and in this place. I think it's great when people move out here in stable romantic relationships. I think that can really be a grounding force in a very strange place. I think it's great when people um, move out here with friends that they really love and have a relationship with, and they have these roommates and people that they can go through the trials and tribulations to get. Failing that, you know, make sure you have somebody to talk to, you know, make sure you're taking care of your mental health. Make sure you're not putting all of your self into the chasing of a dream in such a way, in such a way that if the dream doesn't quite go the way you planned it to, or that it takes longer than you thought it would, or it's really hard, like Shakri was saying, that you don't um, just become some weirdo in Los Angeles, like trying to talk to me at the register at CVS. I don't want to talk to you. So, you know, just try to stay grounded, try to really have a plan and, um, you know, try to keep, keep, you know, not everything is about the entertainment industry. Not everything is about chasing the dream. Like it's important to build a life outside of that and to have a, have a sense of self that isn't wrapped up in your success or failure in this Hollywood game, which eats people alive. That's, that's so, that's great. I love that. And it and it may sound counter to and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but it may sound counter to don't give up, but I don't think it is. I actually think that there's a value in um, recognizing that this is a this is a job and a career. It is not your whole life. It's not who you are. And I think actually it's not who I, you are. Yeah, and, and that's I think what it, you do. You know, I think it's not yeah. counter to what you said, Shakri, because I think making sure that you have a life and a personality and a sense of self outside of the chasing of a dream actually allows you to keep at it longer. Exactly. You know, actually stops you from, you know, burning out like a quick flame and, you know, having that support system and that sense of self will actually allow you to chase your dream much, much longer. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Exactly. You have been listening to The Diversity Hires. You can find us across all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We are at Div Hires Pod. I'm your host, Sherman Payne. And I am Shukri Hassan Tillman. This show is produced by the wonderful AKB, also known as August K. Burton. We hope you will join us again next week. We should have our guest Rodney Barnes here first time i shouted out a guest and upcoming because we planned it so far in advance but um please share share with your friends tell everybody about this podcast everybody you know the diversityhires.com is where you can contact us if we miss something you want to bring up topics that we should talk about just tell us that you love us any of those things are acceptable please hit us up share with your friends And we will see you next week on the next episode of The Diversity Hires. Peace.